So somebody starts off at 5,000. Well, 4,000, 4,000, 4,000, 3,000, 2,000, 2,000 will bid for it, 2,000 will bid, 2,000. In advance of 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. I'm right, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, any advance on 3,000, still cheap, what a lot more money. 3, one, three 2 a bit, 3, 2. Anybody after 3, 2, 3, 2. All out then at 3, 2. Last time at 3, 2. Going at 3, 2. Three, the two, sound two. of the engine, the smell of the oil, the smell of the steam, the smell of the smoke. It was a wonderful experience, and I suppose that little traction engine which Gene bought at the auction reminds me of my boyhood evenings November at the local fair. pieces of furniture and Victor 30 years ago had in the yard. Am I allowed to say this? All those wonderful the wonderful um, country dressers used to be in the yard or coming out of the farms and the whole yard out there was full of them and it was a magical place in those days. But these dressers sadly all left Ireland. Sadly they all left Ireland. But it was a great meeting place in North Tipperary. It was a great, terrific it was a, and it still is I'm sure a social occasion. I don't know the people are coming here anymore. What is it about an auction? I mean you said it's social, it's a bit it's about the antiques, it's about the people. Well, I'm pausing, I'm pausing to think from yes, what I'd say. Sure. It's, it's the buzz, it's the excitement, and it's always gratifying if you come home that something that is nice for your home, something that you collect. It's always worrying to come to an auction if you desperately want something. That makes that puts an edge on it, and sometimes one may go away disappointed. But there is, there is the buzz because of people and watching the people is interesting or interacting, meeting friends. Items have a life beyond their initial ownership, if you like. You know, they... I think that's a very interesting question because I think for many things, and particularly for something like this, it's imbibed with a certain spirit of its creator and as a work of art is, as anything, but as a piece of craftsmanship is, and this is something of course that's lost from modern mass production is that I think objects have their own intrinsic interest, but they also have a history and they also perhaps even absorb something of the people who've loved them through the years, who loved them and maintained them. The miniature steam engine was, was handmade by an, an English mechanic who had come to live in Ireland in perfect work notice steam-driven engine, handmade, there was no other one of it, anything like it in the country. Anybody after 3-2, 3-2, all out then at 3-2, last time at 3-2, going at 3-2, going at 
feature of Salter. I'm very happy that it's coming to a home that will love it and appreciate and enjoy it because yeah. it's always sad to see something that somebody has treasured, put a lot of love into just becoming a monetary transaction and going to a dealer, maybe going to England and being sold for a very high price in England. It becomes just purely part of a commercial transaction, which I think is demeaning for an object that's very beautiful and is, is very superbly made and that someone has put a great deal of labour into producing. The auctioneer paused to drink and wiped his lips and looked about, engaged in whispered colloquy, the clerk, who frowned and seemed to think and murmured, Why not do it next? We'll take its glass case off, which is not so easily done. There we are. And now we can see it reasonably well. Well, I don't know how much you know about steam engines. Perhaps not very much. There's a very simple piece of machinery, very ingenious. And I'm happy to say I remember them in in use uh, on our roads. And having acquired this traction engine, I think I must take myself off. Now I think of it, I must take myself off to Galway and go and have a look at uh, the steamroller just to, uh, well, to remind myself of what a real one looked like. through the, the album depicting uh, showing photographs of your ancestors <laughs> the album itself played uh, entertaining tunes it's the second one and the old family photographs were kept in these but shown with musical entertainment there were no gramophones no, no uh, wireless nothing like that uh, when, when these are uh, cranky and creaking a bit. Okay. Now it needs to be oiled. We try to do 700 lots on average when we do our auctions. We do. We used to do one every month. But since we went into the property business, we do one every second month because we don't have uh, the time for it. And secondly, then, the quality of antiques has deteriorated. Young people don't buy them, and uh, older people either have enough or just buy something specifically with the need. One minute, one thirty at the very back wall, one thirty, one thirty on Vietnam, one thirty. Any advance on one thirty for the children? All on one thirty, selling the time, one thirty. George Stackpool. And I'm an antique dealer. I have a shop in Adair, in 
and I'm also um, president of the Irish Antique Dealers Association. Victor's had a very special place in, in the auction world. I mean, it's one of the really special ones of, of the country. It's, it's very much what you see is in here. It's a great mix of things, and this sale particularly that we're here today is a, a real eclectic mix of really good things, which is very refreshing um, to a lot of the other auction houses, which is a real mishmash of... Um, interesting things and not so interesting things and some questionable things. Victor's got enormous experience in, 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 in the trade um, and, and I think he has a very good eye. Everything, every lot is an interesting lot which is very refreshing. I haven't been to an auction of this nature for many, many years of, of this sort of mix of stuff. What stands out? Well, there's, there's a wonderful set of chairs over there, painted chairs and he expects big money for them. There's some interesting, a few interesting pictures around, but there are also little bits of china and, and brass and, and you know, copper and things like that. There's, there's something for everyone, even down to walking sticks with, with foxes' heads on and, and, and dogs and things like that. Very collectible and a charming doll's house with fully furnished, but no staircase. Now, that's the interesting thing, because a, a collector rang me and said, is there a staircase? Now, I saw it last week, and I had never noticed there was a staircase, but a staircase to a collector is very important into a doll's house. So I learned something. We're learning all the time. And Louise is Victor's daughter and auctioneer. The doll's house was furnished. It was also electrified. One would attach the... Um, electrical operation to a battery and uh, it was quite amusing really because the furnishings were Victorian furnishings and yet they, they introduced 1960s bathroom suites as well which is quite comical because that's why people have done so in their own homes. It made uh, 650 euro in the sale which is quite satisfactory. I was told by a viewer that a doll's house in Lissadell made into the tens of thousands but then that was reportedly played with by the Gore Booth family so um, that would make a difference, perhaps. Um. Yeah, a, a Mickey Mouse money box. This is about 1940. Yeah, right. <clears throat> There's no way of getting the money out, so most children broke the thing, uh, broke the box. So, very, very few intact in the world today. With, with Mickey uh, and Minnie in red, a collector's item. The auctioneer, though full of doubt, Unacquiescent, rather vexed, at last agreed, and at his sign two ministrants came softly forth and lifted in an ashen shroud something extremely carefully packed. They steadied it gently and with care and held it covered, standing there. You know, the lads who carry the stuff around wear white coats and it's very traditional and everyone sort of bustles around after the lot, whereas normally in auctions it's far more formal and you sit down like a theatre and everybody just, it's quite boring, whereas here everyone bustles around and goes out for tea and coffee and it's very sociable. Lot 93, Victorian cast iron bed, four foot six inches with irons. It's inset with deer plaques on both ends. A lovely bed straight from a farmhouse. Have we a thousand euro, one thousand, nine hundred, well eight hundred, six hundred bid, six hundred bid, six hundred, six fifty, seven hundred. 750, 800, 850, 900, 950, 1,000 euro, 1,100, 
132. Orla Kelly is my name and I work for the Irish Landmark Trust, who are a charity who rescue buildings in need and then I'm the lucky person who gets to fit them all out with um, furniture, pick historic colours, wallpapers and... Um, so I go to all the auctions around the country. Sometimes I need specific things. Like today, I'm buying for a building up north called the Barbican um, in Glenarm, and everything has to go up a stone spiral staircase that's only a metre wide. So I was looking for a bed, a bed, particularly the stag head. There's a beautiful cast iron bed outside, which has a stag on the front and the back. And it's been in private, apparently. It's been in a private house for the last 25, 30 years. So... It hasn't been out at the auctions, and I got it today, which is primarily what I came for, and I paid over the odds, so estimate 800, and I'm afraid I paid a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the quality of what you get compared to, you know, if you went into a shop, the kind of bed, you, the kind of quality you would get for 800 euro. I have no interest in provenance. Provenance basically is if this bed had been slept in one night by WB Yates, it would double the value of it and I never want that because I don't care who slept in it I just want the bed so usually a piece of furniture that has come from either an important house for, from Lissadell for example the stuff would have been you know far more expensive or anything from Cantus Markovich you know all the, you know the doll's house she played with I think went for two grand Amelia's or something like that you know whereas um I'm just interested in something that no one important has ever owned <laughs> or slept in because it's much cheaper Well, we're in a small village called Glenarm, which is on the Antrim coast, just above Larne. It's a most picturesque village with really beautiful architecture throughout the village. And we're just standing on the bridge here with a very attractive river that leads. You can see the sea right in front of you. And to our left is a long line of um, battlement walls that look really heavily fortified. And they are the walls of the estate of Viscount Dunluce. And right in front of us is the famous Barbican Gate. And this would have been more than a gate lodge. It very much would have been a fortified gate. And once these gates open, you have a wonderful panoramic view of the big house. Then if they do want to open it, you'll not see any reel when the curtain's up if you put an Argus Swiss reel up. Where does it go, though? Across the top here? Across the top here. Okay. And if it's windproofed enough, then we won't need to do this. Right. But I imagine it's just in case. Thank you very much. Well, the Viscount Dunluce has very kindly given us this Barbican Gate building, and the Landmark Trust acquire it, restore it, and then I would come in and bring the furnishings, and we would then let it to various people over... You know, you can stay for a week or a weekend... And the revenue we create from that goes to rescue another building. Even though it looks like a magnificent castle that sleeps about 35, it actually only has one bedroom, which is at the top of a stone spiral staircase. So I have had many panic attacks, anxiety dreams about the bed not going up the stairs. But um, as you can see, the stairs is actually quite broad. It's got its beautiful stone steps and we have a rope for a railing up the side. Um, it's got wonderful gun loop windows all the way up that give you panoramic views out over the river, the sea. And here we are at the famous bedroom. 
the stairs has me out of breath. I've been carrying stuff up the stairs all morning. So, uh, Well, the bed is really the main piece of this bedroom. It's a highly unusual bed. And Victor Mitchell in Ross Grey, who's been in the business for 74 years, said he had really never come across anything like it before. It also had a very happy previous life in that it was 35 years with its previous owner. I mean, you kind of wonder about the fate of a really special bed like this, that it, I don't know, maybe they end up in bungalows and housing estates, and I don't know where they end up. This is a very... It's almost like Alice in Wonderland. You come out this tiny little wooden door, and then you're on most amazing roof garden. I had been... It was a kind of a quest, really, because I had been looking for a bed for here for at least a year or two, which is when I would have first seen this building. And... Um, I knew because it was such a spectacular building with only one bedroom that it needed a very unusual bed. The minute I saw it, it felt like the right bed for the place. Unfortunately, somebody else at the auction thought that as well, so I had to bid quite high, but I, I really think it, it, it looks excellent. and It'll have a very happy home here, hopefully, for 50 or 100 years, so that makes it very good value. And I do think this is probably the most magical of all the Lamarck Trust buildings you really feel as though you're in a fairy tale. I'm guessing it could make over 5,000 now. There it is, lot 169, Victorian engraved brass style with movement. The spandrels are all engraved. It's stamped Rick Deeble of Cork. And the, 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 it has been confirmed for us that the hands are as they were 300 years ago. This is so rare, you wouldn't believe it. John is uh, selling the, this now and uh, there's a lot of excitement about it and Victor's excited uh, <laughs> I said I hope his heart holds out <laughs> He's taking bids in 250s, which is unusual, but that's because... Um, and as you see this, see this gentleman here, this book, he's hiding behind a screen. He's putting his, his catalogue up. He won't want to be seen. And um, we know we've apps and bidders. We're at 5,000 now, so that's what I thought would make at least... Look, 200. It's still strong, and bids of 200. 5,8. The gentleman's hiding behind the screen, so he's just showing his catalogue. 6,200. 6263. He's taking him ones now, slowing down. 64. He's the highest. The man, the room's in the highest. Yeah. Yeah. But again, he'll put that into a good clock case and it'll be worth 15 or 20,000 with the right case. 6,300 to a person in the auction rooms now. 42. Who's remaining now? Well, we can't, I can't see him from here anyway and he'll probably slink out now somewhere. Yeah. Victor's got a big smile on his face. <laughs> he can't contain it. Sometimes uh, it's hard not to be a little bit excited yourself on the on the rostrum. Twenty, thirty, 
Thank you, sir. May I say 40? Thank you, sir. 50? You, sir. Thank you, sir. We are now offering for sale a grandfather clock in the mahogany case, white dial, by Milton & Son, Dublin, and it's perfect working order. It's belonged to a collector who had a minimum of 40 clocks, all in perfect working order, some mantel clocks, some grandfather clocks, some advertising clocks. Oh, bid 1800, 1800, any of us in 1800, 1900, 2000, 2000, 21, 21, 22, 23, 23, any of us in 24, 24, 25, 25, 26, 27, 2750, 28, 28, any advance in 28, or whatever 28, selling down at 28, going at 28, This man here has just bought a grandfather clock. I'm showing you how to disassemble the clock so you can put it back together. The weights have to come off, the pendulum has to come off because it'll break. I lift up yes. the pendulum here, you can see where my finger is, take it off at the top, I drop it down through the eye. Yeah, I see. We yeah. take it out yeah, and we put it over here. Now we can take off the weights. Yeah. Because one piece gets broken, you're off to the clockmaker to get it repaired. And that's that could cost you just as much as the price of the clock the itself. There's a local man that I bring you to. He just uh, here in Yes, and he has yeah. he's a great gift. If you're ever doing this, we have to stop here. You'll hear a little click. Click. She's now getting ready. She's now getting ready to chime. Just at about two minutes before the hour, click. She's now, the escapement has moved into position. She's ready to chime. She'll come on to two o'clock. Majestic. And you can adjust the tone as well. If, if you wanted to make... Oh, you can. And the bell above there. You can. The bell, the bell will stay the same. But if you bend the striker, you can make it strike harder or softer. Uh, I bought it just as, a, as a, an antique, just for my own private living room. I have, I have a lot of kind of Victorian furniture kind of thing. And, uh, what attracts you to this one? Yeah. It's very Victorian. This, the style of it, because I remember when I was a child, we had, we, had a, we had a grandfather clock much similar to that, I think it was a Victorian one. I'm not sure if this is a Victorian one, is it? Oh, it is, genuinely is it Victorian. Victorian yeah. Genuinely, yeah. And I remember it as a child, and I always wanted to buy one. So it's only now I can afford to buy one. <laughs> were you happy with the price? Were you, were you bidding with anybody else? No, I, I bid by... Uh, um, what do you call it? Telephone. No, uh, left a bid, did you? Left a bid, Left yeah. a bid, good man. And then we left a maximum price that I'd go to. Yeah. And did you get it, did you get so, it below your price? I did, yeah. I delighted. About 200 euros below I it. I delighted. And not yeah. only is it Victorian, it's early Victorian. See the reading here? This, date, yeah. this clock dates from maybe 1830 or 1835. So it's a good early Victorian piece. The Victorian yeah. period went from the 1830s up to 1900. The earlier, the better. She, she reigned for what, 64 years? Yeah. Century, isn't it, right? That's 1904. 1904, yeah. yeah. It came from the collection in Ross Gray. From a house in Ross Gray? Yes, a man who collected clocks. All his life. 20? 30? Thank you, sir. May I say 40? Thank you, sir. 50? You, sir. Thank you, sir. Hello, Fergal. How are you? Hello, how are you? How are you doing? Nice to meet you. I remember as a kid playing in there. A grandfather clock just like that. It's that particular type of one I wanted, you see. You, you see a lot of them at auctions, but I've never seen one that was appealed to me as much. 
because the one behind when I was young was the very same as that. It's a Victorian one, I'd, I'd imagine. Well, the name and, and the face of the clock is Milton and Son Dublin. But I'm told that they were only the... They may, may not have been the makers. They would have been the sellers of the clock. But I'd say it's probably about 1860 or 70 around that time. So I bought that. I put a commission bid on that, actually. I wasn't present at the auction. So that's the way I bought it. I put a commission for $3,000. I bought it for two years. It was knocked down to me. I'm very happy with it. It was such a nice clock. Nice for a day out to go to the auction anyway, just look around. You'll always see some unusual things too, you see. When you're sitting in the room now, if you haven't any television on or anything, you'll hear a ticky. It's a nice tick. I always love the tick of a talk. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. There's your laugh now. Sounds a little like a cash register. <laughs> well, so I keep it for the rest of my days anyway. Well, I won't part with it anymore. And I'm going to know where it's going to go. <laughs> As the man says, you can't take a winch. <laughs> 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Good stuff and good prices. Anton in copper. Very, very good auction there. Some fantastic stuff here today. Plenty of money around. 20, 30, thank you, sir. May I say 40, thank you, sir. 50, you, sir, thank you, sir. found my love by the gasworks croft dreamed a dream by the old canal I was bidding for a, a little figure of a bronze figure of a boy playing a flute and uh, my wife's birthday is on Sunday and I thought she'd love it so I wanted to get it and put it in the fountain, so he's playing the flute with the water around him. Unfortunately, I didn't get it. Well, I like auctions, and you always find something you can't live without, and it's the excitement and the congeniality of it, you know. We, we all know each other, well, a lot of people know each other. Hello, how are you? I haven't seen you since the last auction, and I... Um, and uh, it's exciting, you know, see, see how the bidding goes and so on. It's a social, it's a historical thing, it's very nice, very pleasant. By the factory wall, dirty old town. And then I, I thought I'd retire and come and live in a small cottage in Ireland. But I ended up restoring a house that had been burned down in the 1930s. And uh, it's, it's as big as the one I left. So suddenly, you know, I need to furnish it. And when I see something I like, I fall in love with it, buy it, put it up. Or put it on a you know, piece of furniture or whatever. We're about 10 lots behind as what we would like to be in, in the morning, but then because, there's so, because in one item now, four or five people are bidding at it, whereas sometimes only two are bidding. It's taking longer to sell each item. Thank you, sir, concurred the auctioneer, surprised but glad to know that he had rightly heard, and added, Well, then I may proceed. I am bid 2,000. Any advance upon that sum? Outside the sales rooms we have a pair of large lines, almost life-size, a magnificent pair, cast. 
a thousand were bid, one thousand were bid, one thousand on my right, one thousand, one thousand, eleven hundred, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, fourteen hundred now on my right, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred, and eighteen hundred, eighteen hundred bid now, any advance on eighteen hundred euro, eighteen hundred, all at that eighteen hundred, selling at eighteen hundred, number one, two, three. should have done a bit of practicing. I'm very sorry. We're in the drawing room of Ross Castle in, in County Galway. Well, when we moved to Ireland, we certainly didn't have enough furniture, and I became uh, friends with a lady called Margaret Fahey, who was an antique dealer, and she introduced me to Victor and the rooms in um, Roscray. And I've been going now to Mount Butler for the last 14 years. And um, I've furnished, certainly, two cottages and three or four apartments totally from the furnishings of Victor. And I find them delightful. I, I can find bits and pieces that I couldn't find any other place, I think. Every time I go, I certainly have to send a truck to bring back all the things. It's nothing that my car would be able to accommodate. Um, now, you'll notice on the front lawn that you can see from here, there are some um, boxes there. And that is in anticipation of the two great big lions that I bought at Victor's. We wanted to see how they would look there. <laughs> but they're still at Victor's. has a very creative and current currently Victor has two lions one snarling and one smiling that have yet to be delivered because they weigh 500 pounds apiece they will be delivered and Victor just doesn't ask for the money immediately <laughs> it seems that your wife is probably one of Victor's best customers would that be correct Victor knows when she's in the audience <laughs> Well, it, um, the Martins built it. It's the ancient house of the Martins of Ross. And it was built in 1590. And it was the first house actually built outside of the walled city of Galway by one of the tribes. And uh, it had gone through a couple of rebuildings. And the latest one was with us when we you know, put back a mansard roof and did all sorts of things. They put in windows. Uh, and the floors and various various things. Um, now, this room is the library. The, the library, the shelves themselves came from a French manor house in East Galway. And the um, 
the bits and pieces of furniture, of course, came from Victor, even though he doesn't, didn't recognise a single piece when he came here. Uh, his daughter brought him here. I had been inviting him for years, and um, he, would come, he came in and sat down, and I said, Victor, do you recognise these chairs? No, but they came from Mount Butler, Victor. <laughs> Did they really? And I served him tea. We're in the front hall now, and we're going into the dining room. And, you know, there's one thing about Victor's. You can be lucky. You can also be unlucky. You can have your heart set on certain pieces, but if somebody else does, especially a dealer, uh, I'm going to lose. But if the said dealer isn't there, then I tend to win. Also, you meet some of the dealers there. They're mainly dealers who go there, a few housewives, but mainly dealers. And you get to know them, and they can be very kind, and if they see that you're gung-ho on trying to get something, they'll allow you to get it, and they won't bid against you, which is very nice. Um, I must say, in the beginning, I wasn't so nice because I didn't realize that this was what one should do. But um, now I toe the line and I obey the rules. So there is an etiquette as well, if you like. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. Yes, indeed. Yes, well, I, uh, there was a carpet that I had badly wanted, and I had waited for two hours just for that carpet. It was at the end of the afternoon, and um, I was standing next to a dealer, and I didn't know it, but she had also her eye on that carpet. And when I began with my hand up ferociously bidding, uh, she stopped the bidding and just had told me later that she wouldn't bid against me, and I thought that was awfully kind. Part of our stone was removed over the years because no one had lived here for so long and um, we put advertisements in the paper asking for stone of one sort or another and a man answered our phone call our advertisement and he said yes we have something down here and we went to Gort and the grass was about four feet high and he would push it aside and he said now there's one and there's another and there's another and now he said these are windowsills and I said oh lovely they'll be perfect he said yes they came from a well-known house it's called Cool Park and I was the demolition man and so I saved them so we have Lady Gregory's uh, windowsills as part of our coping stone on our walls. George is outside, I believe. Is he, he, George doesn't come to the auctions with you. No, no. If at one time George did come, and uh, the first question after we sat was, "Shall we have a walk and have a cup of tea?" <laughs> I leave most of the decision-making to my wife. She has the eye and the taste. Thank you, sir, concurred the auctioneer, surprised but glad to know that he had rightly heard, and added, Well, then I may proceed. I have to admit that sale rooms don't greatly excite me. Um, I'm happy to go around sale rooms, but the actual business of buying in sale rooms is something that I find 
Well, I suppose, if it's not too strong a word, slightly distasteful. I don't like entering into competition with somebody else uh, for an object and using my wealth to acquire that object or, if I don't possess the necessary wealth, being defeated by somebody else's wealth. I don't enjoy that sort of activity, particularly if you apply appoint somebody as your agent and they go in and they act on your behalf. Where the traction engine was concerned, um, there was no agent involved at all. Gene just went along and bought it. Although there is an element of sadness to it, and I think an element of sadness that we will always remember because uh, I think there was somebody else who thought they might like the traction engine. Perhaps they were just as devoted to the model traction engine as I was myself, and they left disappointed because they didn't possess the adequate financial resources to purchase it. Or maybe they were just wiser than we were. Maybe they realised that it just wasn't worth the price that the traction engine had gone to. But the price was really quite quite a modest one. I think um, had it been in an auction room somewhere else, it might well have commanded a higher price than uh, it, than we paid for it. I know that certainly with with some markets such as the you know the the flea markets, the kind of car boot sales etc I think they do better in times of recession when people are not quite so well off they kind of come up a bit and in reasonably well off times markets can actually go downhill because people are more affluent and less inclined to use them but I think auctions have an enduring charm everybody is always hoping to find the something that you know is going to um, be a little bit different the thing that they're going to pick up for a song and going to talk about for years later two days after the auction now and um, just everybody's coming as you can see we're two or three people around collecting their one or two or three or four or five purchases bringing them home paying for them so we gradually run down the stock and as that happens more more goods this was such a big auction that we've maybe another 300 lots in the back store ready to be moved in as soon as we have space A lot of people, it was amazing. There must, there must have been 100 people here at, at, at quarter past 11. That's, that's, that's strong interest, but there were nice things at the end. One of the last lots was a set of eight Georgian hand-painted mahogany and satin wood dining chairs. Very rare. came from the west of Ireland. They made €31,000. And I don't know if, if they're going into a private home or they're going to a shop because the, the, the buyer was a stranger to us. So it's an exceptional lot. We, we do, even the, the, the pair of armchairs alone would be worth maybe 20000 because they're so exceptional. What were the highlights for you from the auction? Um, I suppose, well, our top prize of the day was, um, is always a highlight, of course. It was um, a set of eight painted satinwood Georgian chairs made €31,000. Sometimes it's not always the biggest price, but a surprising price that uh, is, is of interest. 
um, a lot 169 was a Rick Diebel grandfather clock dial. Um, Rick Diebel died in 1715, as I think I mentioned to you before, and uh, his short li- in his short life he was an excellent clockmaker. Well, I understand that five, if not six people, came to the auction rooms to buy that dial alone, and it made €6,300 in the ultimate. It was well, our estimate is €1,000. We had no idea that Rick Diebel was so important, but certainly the clock people out there knew it. There's no doubt about that. But the buyer of it had actually left an absent bid of €4,000, and I advised them that there was time for them to come, that it wouldn't be sold until after half past six. So they called themselves, uh, called and bid themselves. And it's amazing, that's the difficulty about the auction. They would have paid up to 4000 uh, if they hadn't been here. When they, when, they, when they were here, they kept going and went up to 6300 Sometimes the excitement is uh, too much for people. <laughs> Spanish barrel organ. He's played a selection of eight different tunes. If it hasn't been tuned in a while, maybe, is it? It's in good condition, even though it hasn't been used for a long time. It should, should make a thousand euro. It's signed and dated at the back. It is an original.